You're on Subject ACT on 2XX 98.3 FM, your people-powered radio station. I'm Nathan Goobler. I've always found it a little bit interesting that despite the increased secularization, the increased separation of church and state, and also the popularity of atheism in Australia, that uh, Christmas and Easter are still widely celebrated amongst all sorts of different folk, and that uh, it, they still enjoy public holiday status. And although Australia's symbols and particularly public holidays are becoming uh, increasingly scrutinised and criticised, Christmas and Easter aren't particularly included in the discussion, which always prompted a question in me, if we really wanted to move away from a society with entrenched religion that doesn't apply to a lot of people, then shouldn't we be thinking about changing Christmas and Easter from being public holidays? And I was wondering whether there was a discussion at all about this. And so I went looking for a discussion and what better place to look than the Rationalist Society of Australia. And uh, I had the great privilege of speaking to the president of the Rationalist Society of Australia, Dr. Meredith Doig. I'm speaking now with Dr. Meredith Doig, who is president of the Rationalist Society of Australia. Meredith, welcome to Subject ACT. Thank you very much. Welcome. So um, we'll start off just with the, the main question of uh, what I wanted to explore. Uh, do, do you think there is a symbolic privileging of Christianity by still having Christmas and Easter as public holidays? <laughs> uh Symbolically, I guess, but, you know, 60% of Australians in the census tick the sort of Christian box. So it's part of our history and our culture. Um, I, look, honestly, I think to most Australians, um, religion is pretty irrelevant and Easter is more the best time of year to have a, a good long weekend. Yeah. And indulge in hot cross buns and chocolate bilbies. <laughs> and uh, when I when I brought up this uh, this subject with people, a lot of people point out that um, Easter has a lot of pagan roots. Anyway, it does. It does. Apparently, it um, it comes from the word estra, e a s t r e. <clears throat> Probably some. Um, different spellings of that word, uh, who was the pagan goddess of spring, which, of course, <laughs> is a bit irrelevant in Australia since we're not in springtime, we're in autumn. Mm. So, yeah, we've, we've seen um, Easter and Christmas, uh, a lot of people comment that it's uh, being commercialised so kind of away mm -hmm. from its religious sort of, uh, mm. you know, ties. So do you think that that kind of just renders uh, these holidays as religiously toothless, so to speak? <laughs> religiously toothless. <laughs> I, and isn't that a good thing? I mean, it is the best time of year for a holiday. You have a, an extra long weekend, uh, except that the roads get pretty packed, I guess. But autumn is the best time. Particularly, I mean, I'm down here in Melbourne and autumn is definitely the best time of year really beautiful. Uh, so I think it's a, a great time of year for this sort of extra long weekend. Um, is it Has it lost its religious meaning for most of us? Most of us are not particularly religious in Australia anyway. Um, it, I guess it will be meaningful for a small number of people who uh, take religion or their faith seriously. Um, but I think that's 
Um, we are, socially speaking, we're, we're pretty much uh, a non-religious country, and I think that's a very positive thing. So um, could, you, could you foresee uh, the cultural shifts taking us to a place where we would look at the idea of Easter as a public holiday and say uh, maybe we'll just drop it, kind of like um, the monarch as a symbol, like people are just saying, you know, it was, we've just come to the point now where we should just kind of drop it. Like it doesn't have any meaning anyway, um, so yeah. let's just make the final cut. Yeah, I, probably not in my lifetime nor in yours. Uh, because Easter and Christmas are the two, you know, really entrenched Christian um, festivals, even though both of them actually have pagan roots. Um, but it's true, public holidays do change. We used to have Guy Fawkes Day. You know, I remember, remember the 5th of November for gunpowder, treason and plot. Yeah. I remember growing up with um, setting off firecrackers and in November and having bonfires and so on. And then there was Empire Day. Mm, absolutely. memory was, what, the 25th of May or something like that. So, you know, younger people these days don't know the history. Well, they don't even know that they used to be um, holidays to celebrate or, or days to celebrate anyway in Australia. So, so things do change. Um, if we look... To other parts of the world, I understand that in Singapore, uh, which is a very successful multicultural society, um, I'm not I'm not I'm not saying uh, Singapore is successful in everything, but they do um, recognise the Indians, the Chinese, and the Malays, who make up the vast majority of the, the um, different ethnicities in Singapore, and they have. Uh, uh, the major religious holidays for each of the religions associated with those three ethnic groups, um, they are all uh, government-sanctioned holidays. So who knows, at some stage in the future, we may uh, morph into uh, something like that. Or we, <laughs> we might have more uh, holidays like um, the Melbourne Cup holiday or a holiday for the grand final because sport seems to be Australians' religion to a lot of people. Uh, despite um, what you're saying, I mean, it seems quite obvious to me that um, the religious significance of Easter and Christmas have waned away culturally. But uh, despite that, there are like significant pockets in Australian and also uh, more famously in American society, which uh, talk about a war on Christmas. And um, <laughs> which um, they uh, point to things like uh, secular language used in businesses, and also uh, Peter Dutton uh, the other year was talking about um, schools that weren't singing Christmas carols. Um, do you think? That, do you think that these pockets of um, you know that they're very um, activated and they they get very angry? Do you, do you think there's any? Uh, I don't know. Uh, are, are they kind of dangerous? And do we need to keep an eye on these these sorts of things, or are they kind of just funny? Absolutely. Look, it, it, the word pocket is right. They do not represent a large uh, proportion of the population, but they do tend to be um, ideological and you do, and, and they get into positions of power where you can change things like Peter Dutton. And we do have to keep a very wary eye on um, the extremists. So we do need to 
uh, keep an eye out for the extremists of any group. And like Peter Dutton, they they can tend to get into position of power where they can change things. I mean, one of the things that we're focusing on just uh, at the moment, yet again, is the National Schools Chaplaincy Program, mm. which on the surface is overtly discriminatory. Uh, I mean, there's nearly quarter of a billion dollars in a budget cycle devoted to $250 million devoted to uh, providing for schools support, pastoral care and support. But that money can only go to religious people. Mm. Now that's, we're not supposed to, we're supposed to have freedom of religion and belief in this country. That to me is overtly discriminatory. Mm. And and, and you know, we're we're taking steps to uh, challenge it. And I suppose, kind of along those lines as well, um, the debating around school f- schools funding as well, like uh, uh, the Catholic sector, um, <laughs> the the way that they distribute money has uh, come under a lot of uh, scrutiny mm. since um, the changes by the Liberal government. Yes, look, the the Catholics are past masters at uh, infiltrating the halls of power and pulling um, levers to advantage to benefit uh, their group. I mean, we forget that back in the 50s, there was no uh, government funding for Catholic schools. It was a political decision by a Labor government at the time, basically to buy the Catholic vote. Right. And now it's been institutionalised to such an extent that everybody sort of assumes we've got three school systems in Australia. We've got government schools, we've got independent schools, and then we've got the Catholic school system. We've got a whole school system, mostly funded by taxpayers, whose job is to reproduce one denomination of one religion. I mean, it's just, on the surface of it, it's outrageous. Mm. It's absolutely outrageous. And yet we, it, we're so used to it now mm. that we don't mm. even um, see it. And another strange thing with um, talking about the uh, religion kind of waning culturally, uh, there was talk about um, the the Catholic uh, Education Office getting the call out to um, get Labor voted in Batman the other day and saying that those yeah. 30,000 robocalls, significant number, enough to uh, get Jed over the line. Yes, look, the Labor Party <clears throat> does not cover itself with glory when it comes to uh, its relationship with the Catholic Church. The Labor has always had a significant minority part of it that is dominated by the Catholics. They've got Catholic unions like the Shop yep. Distributor and Allied Union, which is um, has been dominated by Catholics uh, for a long, long time. So... You can't look to the Labor Party to uh, be the champions of genuine secularism in Australia. That is separation between church and state because they, they sell their souls for votes for the Catholic vote. You're on Subject ACT on 2XX 98.3 FM. We're going to take a quick musical break. This is Fuzz Sucker with Jesus Don't Run. That was Jesus Don't Run by Fuzz Sucker.
Welcome back to 2XX 98.3 FM. This is Subject ACT. I'm Nathan Gubler, and I'm currently in conversation with Dr. Meredith Doig, who is President of the Rationalist Society of Australia. Um, if we can draw back to uh, the discussion around uh, public holidays, um, the other debate uh, that um, piqued my interest at least was um, the debate around Sunday and whether Sunday is still a significant day, uh, uh, people in small business wanting to uh, drop penalty rates on Sunday saying that uh, it has no significance anymore, whereas uh, people on the left side of politics, um, which, which usually are associated with kind of secularisation and stuff, saying, oh, no, Sunday is still a significant day. I was just wondering what your thoughts on that were. Look, I think that what we're seeing is the the gradual um, changing of society to reflect the fact that most people in, in Australia are no longer uh, religiously motivated. That, you know, religion is, that is active religion, you know, going to church on Sunday and so on. It's irrelevant for most of it. Um, we know from the church, the, the uh, Christian church's own surveys that only about 12% of those who tick the religion box on the census, only about 12% of those um, actually are active Christians. Mm. So fortunately, we're pretty sensible uh, about this stuff. So I think what we're seeing is um, a gradual movement towards um, people's economic lives reflecting the fact that religion is not uh, important to them and Sunday is not important. But I, th I think the, the main thing is that um, we, we have to acknowledge that people do have a private life mm, mm. as well as their jobs. Mm. So in terms of the um, uh, wages and how you set those wages, there has to be some sort of compensation for uh, people who are asked or being forced to um, to work at times which are basically unsociable. So there should be, in my view, a loading for unsociable hours. That doesn't necessarily correlate with Sunday because that's mm. where you know you're supposed to not do anything and go to church. It's just that people do have to have some sort of private life. Yeah. And if they're being asked, you know, if, if work is impinging on their private lives, uh, then they should be compensated for that. Um, thanks so much for speaking to us, Meredith. Um, I had one final question, which is, I guess, kind of related, but um, it's an issue that um, bubbles up now and again. Uh, the Lord's Prayer in Parliament, we're talking about the symbols, uh, religious symbols still uh, playing a part in, uh, in Australian society. Uh, this has been uh, an issue raised by Lee Rhiannon, I know, has uh, brought it up now and again. Um, can you just explain just quickly uh, what the issue is? <laughs> So every time uh, Parliament sits at the beginning of the session, the um, Leader of the House or the President of the Senate reads the Lord's Prayer. Now, the Lord's Prayer is a Christian uh, prayer, and you know, many of us, me included, I went to Sunday school and became familiar with the Lord's Prayer. And again, it's one of those things where... Um, for those of us who grew up in a time where we did go to Sunday school, 
it, it seems unexceptional. It's just part of our background. But Australia is not like that anymore. Australia is much more multicultural. And I think that um, the perpetuation of uh, a recitation at the beginning of every session of Parliament really discriminates against the increasing number of people who are elected to parliaments who are not Christian, who may not who come from different backgrounds. And it's also and it's so, also a strange relic from sectarian times because it's a, I believe it's the Anglican Lord's Prayer. Uh, just you know, oh, I, I might be splitting hairs here, that. but um, but yeah. <laughs> It's the Anglican one. Right, well, gosh, the Catholics have got to get to that, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing they haven't got to, I suppose. But, uh... I actually wrote a, an, an alternative uh, to parliamentary prayers. I'll oh, send okay. It to you. Yeah, oh, fantastic. We'll, uh, we'll probably... I can read it out to you, but it's probably a little bit too long. We'll put it on our um, Facebook page. That'd be fantastic. Okay. I'd, I'd be real keen right. to... I'll send it to you. It'd be, uh, yeah, real good. Uh, yeah, um, I'm kind of interested when uh, this will ever get up. It just seems like it's, you know, a couple of politicians uh, raise the alarm on this, but um, it kind of never yeah. goes anywhere. Yeah. Look, um, it could, it might even be unconstitutional, right? according to Section 116 of the Constitution. Uh, and if we had a spare $500,000 to take the case to the High Court, we might do that. But we've probably got a few other things on our plate first. Right, right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Meredith, thanks so much for speaking to us on Subject ACT. My pleasure. That was Dr Meredith Doig the president of the Rationalist Society of Australia. And you can find the RSA's website at rationalist.com.au. And I will also be posting on the Subject ACT Facebook page, Meredith's Alternative to Prayers Before Parliament. I've been Nathan Goobler for Subject ACT, and I hope you had a great Easter long weekend.